gout is a serious disease. Uh, it should not be taken lightly by um, the patient, by their families, or by their physicians. And, and all too often that's been the case. That was Dr. Larry Edwards. Dr. Edwards is a specialist in internal medicine and rheumatology in Gainesville, Florida, as well as chairman and CEO of the Gout Education Society. He's also today's guest on the Patient Access Podcast. I'm Josie Cooper. Dr. Edwards, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's terrific to be with you, Josie. So, Dr. Edwards, why are you passionate about treating gout? Well, I think it's a terribly undertreated disease, uh, and that's just annoying from a professional standpoint that our uh, medical providers would, would do such a poor job, um, not just in this country, but internationally at, at treating this disease. So, uh, bringing the right messages up about gout have been a passion of mine for a long time. Sure. Well, we're glad to have you because we've got some, some tough questions for you. Um, so, so first off, you know, why do you think that there is a negative stigma associated with gout? Well, that's a great question, Josie. Um, it really stems from the cultural background of the disease itself. Uh, more has been written about gout than most any other medical condition, and it goes back not just hundreds of years, but thousands of years. Uh, and somewhere along the line, uh, gout got designated as the disease of kings or the disease of the wealthier class. And I think that there was a time when poking a stick at the privileged class was a uh, was fun and fair game. Um, and and so it, it was recognized that maybe this disease was caused by overindulgence um, and that privilege. Uh, it was probably true back three, four hundred years ago that um, that only the privileged class were getting enough to eat and getting enough to drink. Um, but so this idea of the disease of kings kind of took hold and and if people are limping around with that, then it's a, a kind of a fun thing. It could have been called the disease of great conquerors, you know, because Alexander the Great and Charlemagne both had the disease, or the disease of great artists, Michelangelo and, and Beethoven, both having been afflicted by it. Interesting. So, so this disease has been around um, for a long time and, and has had misconceptions surrounding it. Um, for a long time, too. That's correct. So I think that gets into to really, you know, the next question. Um, you know, there's clearly a, a need to raise awareness of gout in order to destigmatize the condition. Um, so one avenue for doing this is through recognizing Gout Awareness Day, which is coming up on May 22nd. Um, can you tell our listeners about Gout Awareness Day? And as, and as I understand it, there's a link between the Gout Education Society and Gout Awareness Day, right? That's correct, Josie. Um, well, it goes back close to the founding of the Gout Education Society, which was back in early 2006. Uh, another uh, famous gout expert, uh, Dr. Ralph Schumacher, and I um, uh, convinced some of the pharmaceutical companies at the time to to uh, help us get the message out about what the real story on gout was and 
and we developed the Gout Education Society. We put together a board of directors and then a, a website. And then after a year or so, we decided that there needed to be a little more of a display out there. And we came up with the idea of, of a Gout Awareness Day. Um, we picked May because it, that's the month that the Arthritis Foundation had already identified as um, Arthritis Awareness Month. And we used it as a, as a springboard. Uh, a lot of satellite media tours with the, myself and members of the board would be on TV shows and talk shows and radio talk shows, um, just talking about the misconceptions of gout and how people should take the disease much more seriously than they did. But that was really why we did it, uh, to uh, educate the, the populace about the disease, that it's not a laughing matter, that it's a serious disease, um, and that it's one that should be treated well. Sure. And that's that's just so important. And and what? How many years have you been recognizing Gout Awareness Day now? Uh, we're on our twelfth year. Uh, it's been fifteen years since the Gout Education Society started, and and um, we've uh, well, coming up, this will be the thirteenth Gout Awareness Day. Wow, very interesting um, and and really important work. So so I have to ask then, you know, as we ap approach Gout Awareness Day. What is, you know, the, the most important thing that you think our listeners should know and understand about gout? Sure. Um, well, what I just mentioned, and that is that gout is a serious disease. Uh, it should not be taken lightly by um, the patient, by their families, or by their physicians. And, and all too often that's been the case. Um, it's a disease that's easy to treat. Um, we have good treatments for it, and most people can be um, put into a remission, meaning that they don't have any gout symptoms, um, uh, provided they stick to the recommendations. One of the important things that we've tried to emphasize over the year is that the patient should be really the, um, the person pushing on this. So we developed our website just so that patients had a pretty good idea of how gout should be well managed and if their treatment from their health care provider didn't follow that direction then they should go in and talk to their physician about why that isn't the case. We've also encouraged people to know your number meaning do you know what your uric acid level is and if it's not at target meaning less than 6.0 milligrams per deciliter then you're not being well treated and to have that conversation with your physician what you can do to get your uric acid level down into that range that ultimately will allow the person to to leave this disease behind them provided they stay on their medication sure and and that's a lot of really important information um and, and leads me into to my next question you know one of the questions that we hear a lot is um, how do I get connected with, you know, the right kind of treatment or the right provider? Um, so I want to ask you about the Gout Specialist Network. Can you share a little bit about what that is and how it works? Yeah, I'd be happy to, Josie. And that's, you're exactly right about that. Um, it is the fact that after our website had been up for a while, we realized that most of the questions that were coming into the website that I'd answer really had to do with 
my doctor really doesn't seem at all interested in this disease or treating it. Um, can you find somebody in my vicinity that would take this more seriously? And and if they happen to live in the few large cities around the country that I had good friends who were also gout experts, I could refer them there. Um, but that obviously wasn't going to work for most of the people that were writing in. And so we we established on our website on the Gout Education Society a gout specialist network where we uh, vet uh, mostly rheumatologists, although there's some nephrologists and primary care doctors uh, in the listing as well. But we've um, expanded that up to about 700 uh, uh, healthcare providers, physicians mostly, that um, that have recognized the American College of Rheumatology's gout treatment guidelines as being the correct way to handle this disease and have um, pledged allegiance, more or less, to, to, um, to following those guidelines. And so we feel comfortable about um, recommending them as somebody that might be close to uh, where the patients were calling in from uh, that they could get help that's that's great. That sounds like a, a really wonderful resource. And and so these are, are clinicians that um, you know patients can trust um, will will treat their gout you know ser and take it seriously. That's right. Uh, most of them I've uh, been with have educated them about this disease process, about the making sure that the diagnosis is correct, and then making sure that they go through a a stepwise approach to lowering their uric acid. Um, mostly this is done pharmacologically. There are lifestyle recommendations that we certainly um, support. Uh, we do not believe that people can achieve their target uric acid by diet restrictions alone. Uh, and so we, um, we put that in perspective. Uh, and these clinicians uh, that are in the gout specialist network uh, understand um, all of that and appreciate the the need for good treatment. Sure. And and patients can access that resource on the gout education website, correct? That's correct. There is a, a tab for the gout specialist network, and they can go through that and look for people in their state, in their uh, community. Um, that uh, has this expertise that they're looking for. Excellent. What a, what a great resource. And, you know, what other resources do you recommend for people living with gout? Uh, well, uh, Josie, obviously the Alliance uh, for Gout Awareness is a, is a great resource um, for gout specifically. There are other general um, resources about arthritis and in its care that I'd also recommend, and that includes the Arthritis Foundation and Creaky Joints. Not everything that people find on the web is going to be legitimate. Um, that there's going to be, um, uh, like everything on the web, uh, some truth and some uh, things that are um, not scientifically supported. And so I would say stick to these recognized um, uh, experts and, and websites for their information. 
Sure. And I, I think that's a, a great point about, you know, trying to, to find trusted um, resources that you can look to. So, you know, these all sound like um, great resources for, you know, providing good information and, and appreciate you including the Alliance for GAD Awareness on your list there. Um, so the Alliance recently added a COVID-19 resource page on its website, you know, that includes links to, to some of the helpful information from our members geared towards supporting patients, caregivers, communities um, during this time. And that's at uh, www.goutalliance.org. Um, but, you know, as we talked about, gout can, can be debilitating and isolating even before this pandemic turned life upside down. Um, do you have any advice for people who are, you know, living with gout about how they can manage their condition, especially with the added stress of this pandemic? Well, I think people need to be um, very careful, especially those with gout, because of a lot of the comorbidities that uh, are associated with gout, uh, diseases such as diabetes and hypertension uh, and, and heart failure. Uh, all of these are are very closely aligned with gout and this is the very group of people that we know with the COVID-19 um, that potentially are going to have a rougher time with that viral disease than others. So sticking to the CDC guidelines, uh, certainly not letting down our guard too early uh, and family and friends of people with gout and these other comorbid medical conditions uh, should be very careful and look out for for our patients as well. That's, that's very helpful. Thanks, Dr. Edwards. Um, so that wraps up our tough questions, but Dr. Edwards, we really appreciate you being our, our guest today and sharing such valuable insight. Um, you know, if you've listened to our patient access podcast in the past, you know that we always end with a lightning round. Uh, no. So Dr. Edwards, <laughs> you will have uh, 20 seconds to answer each of the following questions. Uh. Okay. So, uh, number one, uh, you've been affiliated with some pretty big sports schools. So, from what I understand, you've been a, a student or a professor at, at Notre Dame, at the University of Miami, the University of Michigan, and now the University of Florida. Are you much of a sports fan? And if so, what's your favorite? I'm a totally immersed sports fan, and the lack of sports over the last couple months has just been heartbreaking to me. Uh, uh, college football uh, is my favorite, although college baseball, I've really learned to love it uh, and, and, and go to most every home game. And for baseball, that's a big thing because it's about 40 games. Yeah, I think the, the lack of sports on TV has been a, a challenge for a lot of us. It has. So um, if you couldn't be a doctor, what other professional, or excuse me, what other profession would you choose? Oh, well, I really wanted to go to art school, um, but my parents didn't think much of that idea. So I went off to Notre Dame and to pre-med. Um, so art has always been something that I've liked, but I have a couple of very close friends that are professional artists, and I know how badly they struggle to make ends meet. So I, I think instead I would have gone with the um, uh, fishing guide out of southwest Florida would have been my other alternative. Interesting. Okay. Um, so if you had a million dollars to give to charity, what charity would you choose? 
Well, I would choose a, a little-known one. Um, the Kiera the Key Grace Foundation is a, a charity that's started by a friend of mine, also a faculty member here at the University of Florida. Uh, he and his wife both lost a young daughter to leukemia years ago, and they used the energy from that tragedy to set up a, um, a hospital in the Dominican Republic for treating uh, childhood cancers. Um, and before they went there, that was a death knell because there wasn't much in the way of cancer treatment uh, for either adults or for children. But uh, they have a wonderful facility now where the families can come in from across the island and stay with their children while they're getting their their chemotherapies and all. And it's, uh, um, I guess I should have said the Gout Society, but it, <laughs> but but truly this one always tears at my heart. And just thinking about the children that they're saving every day, um, I would certainly give it to that. Sure. Well, it sounds like a certainly a great cause. Uh -huh. um, and, and last question on a lighter note, um, if you had to be a participant on a television game show, which one would you choose? Well, um, you know, I don't watch much TV <laughs> except for sports. Uh, and I do watch the PBS NewsHour each night. And the, the channel just before you get to the PBS News Channel is the one that has Wheel of Fortune on at that same time. So I'll go past that and I'll occasionally stop and try and figure out if I can figure out whatever the saying is that they're going. I, I love the fact that, that Pat Sajak and Vanna White are still doing it after all these years. Somehow they've developed the secret of not aging. So it's, uh, <laughs> I would say, wheel of fortune. I love it. Well, that brings us uh, to the end of our podcast. Dr. Edwards, thank you so much again for being today's guest on the Patient Access Podcast. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me, Jesse. It's been a pleasure for me, too. Thank you.